promise me you look after yourself. Yeah. I'm going hunting. <laughs> so how you been? All this baby shit must be mad. I know, I'm sorry. I know you always wanted to be the one I got pregnant. <laughs> Marcus, Trenton and Bond Carter, three nights? That's right, yes. You guys picked the perfect weekend to be here. It's booty as hell. Well, you boys have a good day's hunting out there, eh? We will. Reckon you can take down a deer? Probably not, no. Not everyone can do it. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Real Scotland Blethers, the podcast of realscotland.com that's dedicated to covering all aspects of film and TV in Scotland, past, present and future. My name's Jonathan Melville and I'm the editor of Real Scotland, which I started way back in 2010 as a way to report on the variety of events and projects happening in Scotland today, from film festivals and screenings to filmmaking and whatever else deserves to be introduced to a wider audience. You'll find a back catalogue of interviews in the podcast feed, most of which were carried out between 2010 and 2013, though at the time they weren't technically podcasts, just random interviews I was carrying out. You can still listen to them, but since episode 16, I've been focusing on bringing a bit more uniformity to the podcast. You can find out more about Real Scotland Blethers on Facebook by searching for Real Scotland, that's Real R-E-E-L Scotland, or on Twitter at Real Scotland. This week, I've been at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, seeing as many new films as possible and catching up with some of the filmmakers who are in town. One of the first films I saw was a new thriller set in Scotland, Calibre, directed by Matt Palmer, someone well-known to horror film fans in Edinburgh and Glasgow as being the man behind the all-night horror madness events at the Cameo and Grosvenor Cinemas. I've been attending the event since 2011, and I first spoke to Matt for Real Scotland back then. I'll put a link in the show notes to that interview. But now Matt is writing and directing the films rather than screening them. And Calibre is a tense trip into the Scottish Highlands starring Jack Loudon and Martin McCann as two friends who decide to go hunting, only to find things taking a turn for the worse. To say much more would be a spoiler, though the trailer does give away some of the game. Luckily for anyone hearing this on or after Friday the 29th of June, Calibre is now available worldwide on Netflix. And I'd urge you to pause this podcast, go and watch the film, then come back and listen to our interview though I think we'll do well to avoid any spoilers in this episode. Here's my blether with Matt. Apologies for any background noise, but we recorded this in a busy festival venue. Hopefully, that adds a bit of atmosphere. Obviously, that I mean, the Netflix thing is massively, massively exciting. Just to be able to get to that number of people is kind of unthinkable. It's almost, it would have been unthinkable even five or ten years ago. The, ne- the weird thing is that the Netflix thing... It's happening right at this very second. Do you know what I mean? So it was, it was happening as, as we were finishing the movie. Um, but I mean, it, it took a long time to write, to to to, to get the script right, and so. So I, did this come? So you done? Yeah, I know you've done some short films. Yeah. Was the feature? Was it just a natural progression? Do a short. Do a short. Do a feature. Or were you tinkering with the feature before that, or I done I done two shorts. Well, what sort of timeline is that as well? What sort of when was this? So I done I did a short in two thousand and eight called Island, um, and um, and then I wrote the first draft of Calibre in two thousand and ten. So I sent it to the producers who who had produced Island, 
um, and they liked it, so we started. I mean, I actually when I, when I when I when I finished the first draft of the script, I thought, well, that's it, we're ready. Like, let's shoot. As soon as we can get some money, let's go and shoot next week. I just thought I was really pleased with it, but I, th- I th- you know, um, but I thought it was finished, and obviously, eventually, it was. You know, it took another seven years until the script was actually really finished and ready. Um, but I made a, another short film in 2013. So, um, so we were developing the feature, but and then the, the the short, the third short, the Gas Man, was kind of a dry run uh, in terms of technic sort of uh, all the stuff I felt like I'd learnt from making Island in 2008. I kind of took that forward into the Gas Man, and and uh, as as my directing style was very very different on The Gas Man and it was essentially like okay from what I think I did wrong on Ireland this is how I think I should try and do it and um, was obviously hoping that that process would work and it did I was I I mean the primary primary thing is I was much kind of calmer and I worked much more um, in a kind of uh, much more fluid way with the crew Island was kind of me just running around not really understanding what 40 people were supposed to be doing and feeling like they were all just slowing me down, um, which is, you know, it's very difficult when you first work with a massive crew because you just it feels like it's making you go s- much slower. And you could work much faster with just three you and three people with a camera and some sound, but the thing is obviously when you have those 38 people around, the, the potential of making something much more sophisticated... And with a lot more, you know, once it gets on the screen, you suddenly realise, you know, that's when you see the fact that 38 people have worked really hard to make every single shot. Yeah, they're all doing their own little elements, all parts, their own parts. Exactly, and I think a big part of learning to to be a director is is understanding that these everything that people are doing, they're doing it for the movie. and, And sort of giving them that time to do that. And accepting that when you shoot a film things move quite slowly and you've got to be really careful that you don't just constantly panic that you're running out of time, you know, because that is a real concern. You know, like, it's almost like, it's like when you see the clock ticking by as, uh, during a shooting day, it's moving at a, like, insane Sam Raimi time-lapse kind of, like, just the hours just clicking by, you know? So um, sort of just staying calm within that, that pressure is something I didn't do on... Island, but to do on the gas man. Um, so yeah, so then we, we went into and uh, developed the script for about I developed the script for about three years with Wellington, um, and then we got some Creative England and Creative Scotland funding, and we did another three or four years of script development. Um, and that's by the end of it, that's when I realised no, the script really wasn't finished when, with that first draft because it's an awful lot better now. It become a lot more sophisticated in terms of the characterization a lot more kind of locked down and, and lean in terms of the thriller aspect um, and also the, the the kind of the locals were, 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 the whole story of the locals sort of developed as we, we kept working on the script and it gave the film a, a sort of another dimension and one of the dimensions of the film that I think I'm proudest of is like the fact that they're not your traditional kind of genre locals um, we sort of subvert that a little bit and um, give them a much more balanced and kind of real kind of existence in the film. Well, absolutely. I mean, I was sitting there watching it, and, and as a 
as someone who knows that you're a, a kind of a genre fan, I suppose, uh, I was sort of expecting <laughs> that at certain moments it was going to go off in a different direction. Mm. And then I was thinking, and then it was almost like you were thinking that you knew people would be thinking that, so you did it differently. Mm. I, I don't know, did you have that sort of, were you thinking, I could tip this? Were you aware of the moments where it could go off into that, uh, let's say, go over, over the top even, or, and try to pull it back? Or were you ever, you know, did you want to ever take it over the top? No, not really with this one. I think it was always a case of just being, you know, being being kind of true to the material but I mean by the same token it's not it's not like every film I ever want to make will play by the rules of this film but I think you know it's just a case of you know what are the rules of this particular movie and if you set up a a, a sort of a tone and an atmosphere and the rules of the movie in the first kind of hour of the movie and then you fly off into another genre or you go like, oh it'd be cool to do a bit of this you know you're gonna it's just not going to work, you know, because, um, I mean, there's loads of kind of, you know, because I do all that horror madness, there's loads of kind of completely crazy movies that are, are far more, like, filmic or fantasy-based or splatter-based or, you know, and I love those kind of movies and I'd love to make a movie like that, but it's like you wouldn't make a splatter movie and then suddenly go social realist for ten minutes in the middle. Do you know what I mean? It just... Because yeah. it would just... It's just not going to work. So I never really... The temptation wasn't really there and I've always, like... You know, the, I, I obviously totally love my horror, like the movies like Southern Comfort and Deliverance and Waking Fright have always been very high, sort of to the top of my list of the movies that I like most. And I just always thought, you know, imagine if you made a movie that was in that kind of vein and you set it in Scotland and, you know, just fighting to try and get it anywhere near the level of those movies and you know if you could do that it would be like oh that'd be incredible do you know what I mean so well, we can fight is a good example because in that film everybody is nice to mm. to the main character mm. basically you know everyone's pretty friendly to him and they're offering him beers there is that kind of you, you kind of sense this underlying there's maybe something going on mm. but it but it but yeah, they're, they're basically nobody's really, really nasty to him. He kind of just brings it on him himself and events conspire. And that is, yeah, I can see that now in, in this film. Everybody's basically nice to him. Well, for most of the film, anyway. Well, there's that great situation, like, you know, I mean, in terms of like, when you take the locals away from being like total savages and you turn them into, into hospitable Highlanders, which I think, you know, the vast majority of, like I went up there to Recce, and the vast majority of Highlanders are incredibly hospitable. And, you know, if you... If, if if you walk out in the countryside and you go and you go for a walk, generally people will greet you and say hello in a way that they never will in the city. But the thing is, in this narrative and this situation, the last thing that the lead characters want is attention and hospitality. So you just get to you by the very their, their very nature is a, of of hospitality and niceness is the exact opposite of what they, they just want these people to just leave them alone <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean so you get this horrible kind of the nicer the locals are the worse it is for the lead two characters and it just seemed like a a great dynamic you know to create a sort of organic tension and how did you go about casting the film well we started casting I think about three years before we um, about three years before we shot and the first name that um, we had Theo Park who's, who um, used to be Nina Gold's assistant um, Nina Gold's a very big UK casting Agent, so um, Theo had just come off um, being casting associate, which is like casting assistant on Star Wars, um, and we, we met her, and 
she was just like from the start we just totally loved her and the first name she mentioned in the very first meeting we had was Jack Loudon and it was interesting because I'd actually written the two lead guys as uh, sort of early to mid 30s so in my immediate response was oh but Jack's like 10 you know at that time is 10 years younger and it was interesting because Theo Theo turned around and she said I actually think for me the film would be more palatable and would work better if the guys were a bit younger and so because I'd already at that point been writing the script for five years I thought well I'm not really you know I'm not really keen on that idea I think they should be mid-30s and but I let the idea sit for a couple of weeks and I started to see it from her side and I think it is better that they're younger and I think it it, it, it sets up a more interesting relationship with the locals who are all older so you do have this kind of almost uh, paternal feeling from Logan and I think that those those that age is actually better for this story um, so with that with that sorted out I had a look at a Jack Loudon um, casting tape and he hadn't done that much at that time because he hadn't done much screen work I think he'd maybe just shot Tommy's Honour mm-hmm. but primarily like he'd won the Olivier Award at I think 20 or 21 so the biggest theatre award at that age which was you know insane but all she really had to send me was um, a very short audition tape he'd done for a TV programme about two years or three years earlier and it was like within 10 seconds I was like this guy is amazing like actually what, what happened with it is I I thought that what I was looking at was Jack Loudon talking to the casting director before the interview started I didn't think the casting tape had been edited because it was so natural and then I realised oh no he's in, char- he's in character here this isn't him this is him being 100%, I actually thought that must be him because that is so natural. And that's the thing he's got, and it's the thing that Martin's got. Is this, I just think they get completely lost within their roles and, and you just cannot, there's no sniff of acting about them, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so we totally loved Jack, and then I had a meeting with him, and he, he which was in itself a, a huge thing. Um, and he liked the script, so he attached to the movie. But then about six months later, he got cast in Dunkirk, at which point we just thought, well, that's probably that one done with, you know? Um, But I just kept this, like, this little nugget of hope inside me because the thing about Jack is he's going to be a superstar and he's going to be a movie star, but he's also... He's an actor, you know, and he comes from this theatre background... And I just had a suspicion that, you know, the role is very intense and goes to some crazy places. And I just had this hope and this feeling that maybe he wants to have a crack at this because it's such, you know, it's such a, it's such a, a big ask in terms of acting. And, you know, when we got on the set, he was saying that. He was saying, the thing about this role is none of us have ever been anywhere near this in real life. Mm-hmm. So what this requires is it requires a huge, like, imaginative leap. And it's, and he was, you know, he was, he was, he was scared, you know, and, and rightly so, because it's like, it's a, it's to, to, to throw yourself into, into that, to convincingly portray that situation that so few of us, thankfully, have ever been through is a colossal ask um, but obviously he, he did it fantastically well and, and pairing him up with Martin was absolutely key like we had 
um, Martin's uh, audition taping and again it took about 20 minutes um, it was just like all, all of my preconceptions on the Marcus character any ideas I had for like the, how he looked physically everything just went out the window and I was like this this is Marcus I was just inside it and it was like exponentially you know what we can do with this character with this actor is very interesting pair him up with Jack and I think this could be total dynamite and we were incredibly lucky to get that pairing and I think they're, they're just both astonishing well Jack has some fantastic moments I mean the, there's that moment <clears throat> excuse me there's that moment after the uh, the incident we won't go into too much detail if people haven't seen it but when he's he's kind of on the ground and just like I was thinking that that is how did he get into that that mindset or that mm. that moment it was just so well done because you can see his face is in shock well I, t- I tell you something completely crazy is that the first on the first day because of the scheduling on the first day of shooting we had to shoot the very beginning of the film when um, when he goes off to Edinburgh and then we had to shoot the very very end of the film like the very last two scenes of the film and when I watched that footage when I watched that footage in the film now um that last minute of the film I just like it sends shivers through me because I'm like he essentially he created the entire journey of that character on day one like and that's that's you know in some ways that's the biggest achievement I think I mean it's it's completely crazy but you know the scene you're talking about it was like that was the third day of shooting and um, to get up to that kind of level and that intensity that quickly and it, I mean, it is, it's just, he's, he's just achieved that thing that was really tricky. And the other thing that both of them do, and the thing that's like unnerving is that they, they both said, oh, that's the easy bit. That bit's easy. Because the thing is, con- they're, constantly, they're constantly under pressure and they're constantly paranoid and they're constantly in a state of um, like grief and shock and panic. But they can't, it can't be explicit enough that the locals around them don't just say, hey, what is wrong with you people? What's going on? And they, they walk this sort of tightrope act through the majority of the film, creating that sense of all of those emotions that I described, but without giving the game away. And they walk it perfectly for, for you know, a huge length of time in the movie. And Martin and Jack turned around to me and said, oh, that's the easy bit. And it's like, it might be easy for you, but it, it might not be so easy if you're not... As, as clever as you are, you know. Yeah. I was going also going to ask you about your film school. You mm. know, are you did you go did you go to film school or did you learn through watching films? Uh, we'll have to talk about all night horror madness, mm-hmm. I think, at some point. But mm-hmm. where did it start for you with the, the filmmaking? Um, I did. I went to Glasgow Uni um, to to study film, but it um, it was a very academic course. Um, it was very much like a sort of English literature course, but with film so you read a lot of it was a lot of kind of critical reading and um and essays and virtually no uh practical stuff so um so i spent more time than i should have probably at glasgow just staying up all night watching watching movies cult movies horror movies any movies movies um and yeah, I mean, I've always watched a lot of movies. I mean, it started before that, actually. I used to... Um, I had a friend at, at school who was massively into films, and I kind of caught the bug off him. But then I used to um, sort of pour through the... In, the... in the old days, they used to have really interesting movies on TV. 
yeah. from from all across. You know, you'd find like I mean, there was some movie I watched with um, I remember 1967 or something called The Incident with Tony Mizant, and I watched it because oh, yeah. because he was in Burby the Crystal Plumage, and it was some kind of independent black and white movie set on a subway train in New York but it's like you know that would just pop up at like two o'clock in the morning so you'd pour through like the Radio Times and you'd just circle all these movies and, and then set your video and assume it worked because videos were very unreliable so you never knew when you woke up in the morning if it would have recorded it Have you missed the last five minutes? Or? Well that happened to me with Taxi Driver actually I recorded Taxi Driver uh, I copied it onto a videotape, but the videotape was 90 minutes and Taxi Driver was 95, so <laughs> it cut off before the ending. But um, yeah, so, so I just, but I just um, got a film education through the stuff that was on TV and just watching and watching and watching. And then when I got a bit older, I started um, having film nights with my friends and we'd have like five, five film in a row film nights. So I've watched a huge amount of films. I think that kind of has been my film school um, in terms of directing. Because I realised when I went on set, I'd only actually directed for 14 days when I, when I started on Calibre, which was a 28-day shoot. And it's a, very, it's a very strange... There's no other job where you could do so little actual practical experience and then be thrown into such a major assignment. I mean, if you imagine that with something like heart surgeon <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? you've watched some videos about it now and you go and do <laughs> yeah. it um, but um, yeah and I mean the, the thing with the the, the, eight, the eight month uh, sort of, sorry the eight year development with the writing of Calibre probably sounds arduous but to some extent that was my script writing course do you know what I mean that was my that was my um, degree in script writing um, yeah. just kind of learning and learning draft after draft and um, so yeah, it's been it's been fairly organic the way the way I've learned. Um, I think there's two routes to go. You know, you can go and study these things, or you can just jump in. I mean, even if you go and study them, you're still going to have to jump in, and you're still probably going to have to learn from your mistakes. Either way, I think that's the thing: is being willing to make mistakes and not just uh, giving up because you know you've made yourself look so stupid which you know on, on Ireland the second short film I made I would I could probably write a book on the mistakes I made you know a lot of mistakes yeah. so and what, what were you doing in those years in between so while you're developing a script I'm guessing there's not lots of money flowing in but mm. people saying oh it's another year mm. here's another you know here's lots of money what, what were you doing what were you what was your job yeah I mean I did little bits of film programming um, at one point I did a little bit of work for the video company Eureka like yeah. sort of um, promoting some of their films and, and writing bits and bobs for them the answer is I don't really know I certainly didn't um, buy many clothes in those years and I certainly didn't eat particularly exotic food um, I mean I had a very very supportive partner who, who runs a film company in the Lake District and you know, without her, I would have been forced to, to get a sort of traditional full-time job, which would have impacted on my chances of getting here. So, huge, yeah. huge thanks to her. But just itty bits of things. And, you know, when people ask me, how did you sort of survive through that period financially? The main answer is I'm not quite sure, you know. You just did. But I suppose if you sit down and watch films all the time, it doesn't cost you a huge amount of money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um I don't know how how how, but and, and, and how how does 
Calibre's success so far. I mean, it is not even. It's not even. If, is it officially been released? I suppose you would say that Netflix is its official release, isn't it? Yeah, this is the festival release. Friday. So, uh, how does this affect what you do next? I mean, have things as your life now completely changed? Are you drinking champagne every morning, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> or are you, um, you know, have you just moved on slightly? And you, this, the next step is what, what happens next? Um, I mean, the, well, the last six months have been pretty big because. Um, even though the film's not really been seen um, by the public, and Friday is the Friday's when it, apart from the Edinburgh audiences, um, Friday is, is when it's it's gonna go to audiences. But um, we were allowed to. Um, I got a UK agent who who was tipped off by a distributor who'd seen it. I think um, so. I signed up to um, a, a UK agent um, in October, November, and then we got permission for him to send the film out to industry people in the UK um, and then he also sent it to uh, uh, an agent in America so I got signed up to an agent in America in February and that has you know, things have um, changed quite significantly not to the extent that I'm drinking champagne in the morning and I'm not sure even if I could I would <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's a good yeah, thing Buck's face maybe <laughs> yeah maybe Fizzier, maybe slur but um, but it's definitely you know a lot of um, a, in fact we've had, we've had a, an amazing response from the industry in um, in Hollywood to the film. Like I've had um, I've had some Skype conversations with producers of some very very big films who've really you know and the, and the thing that's really really good is that it's clear from the way these people have spoken that they understand the movie you know they're not just like they're not just excited they're excited about about the film and it was it was really then that I started feeling I mean you, you make your first film and you finish it and you think maybe maybe it works you know it seems to be you really it's very difficult to get a, a, a definite perspective on it because you know that you're so subjective on it you're so you're so involved and you know what it's supposed to be doing, so you hope it is doing it. But it was really when I started talking to the like UK producers and US producers who'd seen the movie that I was like, okay, I think from what they're saying, this film is going to work on at least, at least, like a decent chunk of the audience are going to are going to think that it works. And I was so relieved because I had so much, you know, I've had so much amazing support from the collaborators like the DOP the production designer um, the editor the sound editor the composer like the costume the makeup they all did such amazing work and, and brought so much to the project that my main emotion was just not wanting to to make something that doesn't work you know it would be so, such a waste if all of those tech contributions you know oh it looks beautiful it's just a shame that it's a shame that it just doesn't work you know what I mean yeah. like if only it worked so, um, so it's definitely things have definitely changed in the sense that there's, you know, the chances because I think ten percent of people who make a first, I think the statistic is ten percent of people who make a first feature make a second. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but then if you can get beyond your second and onto your third, you've really got a pretty good chance of doing it for, um, as as a proper career, which has always been what I've been aiming for. Yeah. and it's been twenty four years since I studied at Glasgow University so you know I've got a bit of ground to make up <laughs> yeah. 
Thanks again to Matt for taking the time to speak to me for the podcast. Calibre really is worth 90 minutes of your time, and it's great to see a quality thriller coming out of Scotland. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I'll be back soon with more from the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Until next time, enjoy Calibre.